welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. There are three things we do with the black flame. We receive it, we hold it, and we expel it. Uh, We receive it from various external sources. We hold it, we keep it within to digest, assimilate, and integrate it with our being. And then finally, we can expel it back out into the universe where it continues to change and transform on our behalf. So initially, I'm going to focus on the first of these. I'm going to talk about the magnetic power of the black flame and how the black flame is involved in helping you find your way to the source. It, in fact, helps to illuminate the pathway to the source, and then it helps to make us stronger beings once we are there. Now talk about the source a little bit, and there's an ancient symbol for this, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, which is the black sun. And this is a symbol of there being a source for the black flame, a source of this energy, which has something very significant to do with mankind's conscious evolution. There's different cultural... Uh, interpretations and variations on this theme, but that's the central idea, and that's really the central idea that we come to uh, about the black flame on the left-hand path. So everyone will take this in a different way. If you're finding your way, it's it's going to mean one thing to you, and if you've been pursuing it for a while and maybe you've gotten to a point where you found the others you found some other people who are interested in these ideas and are also trying to escape from the prison of uh, mechanicalism and delusion of the ordinary world then it will mean something else to you and then there's the point where you uh, have perhaps encountered um a certain kind of school or esoteric school where people work with these ideas in a real direct sort of way. So even, you know, if you found these ideas only via the internet, it's only a matter of time. You dig a little deeper and you see there's something more to the picture, even on these ideas that you find through something as easily accessible as the internet. So for me, I can tell you it involved a number of synchronous occurrences as I look back on this. So probably the first one was when I was like nine years old, my father died quite unexpectedly. It wasn't unexpected for him. He knew he was going to die. He had 
a uh, bad disease, bad um, diabetes, uh, and 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 this was at a time in history where they where where people didn't recover from it after you'd gone to a certain point without insulin, and that's where he was. So he knew about it, but I didn't know about it. So it came as a huge shock, and um, you know, it, it really, that's a shock that stays with you. It opens up things for a while, and you take a big imprint, and things affect you in a different way for a while. So I began to take an interest in things paranormal. You know, maybe it's because of the life and death questions, but I was interested in that, and and I already knew that, you know, the people that I'd seen in churches and stuff, uh, they didn't know. They didn't really know anything about life or death. They didn't know anything about an afterlife or a spirit. They just repeated, you know, they just regurgitated what they'd been told. But I, I, I felt very, um, very sure at an early age that these people did not know. So I started looking into other things. And so I looked into, um, you know, bits of occult knowledge. But also at the same time, I got really into Dungeons and Dragons. Which, you know, it's true what they say, that it's, it's a gateway to Satanism. Well, what they said back in, in 1983, anyhow, they said is a gateway into Satanism. And, you know, not everyone who played D&D got into Satanism, but a lot of people in Satanism and, and Setianism in the left-hand path have some Dungeons and Dragons in their background, if they're within a certain age group. So anyhow, I'm picking that up. I'm picking up. Uh, bits of occult and white light literature. Alex Sanders in there. Um, you know, some Sarah Lyd Morris. I, I found Aleister Crowley books. I wanted to understand them. So I wanted to see that there was something really intelligent and really significant in Crowley, but I couldn't find it. I didn't know which were the right books to read. Uh, so um, it, it all came to me as, as confused and fitful. So, um, so those are my influences. Some Ozzy Osbourne in there, you know, listening to Ozzy Osbourne. You know, my name is Lucifer. Please take my hand. All these things, leading me in one direction. And so you start picking up these influences, and you want more. So then, you know, 1983, I'm at um, my local uh, bookstore, is B. Dalton's bookstore, and this is this is in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, there's only like three bookstores in the whole town. And B. Dalton's was the one that had D&D books. They had some horror books, H.P. Lovecraft. I discovered that also thanks to Dungeons and Dragons. And um, they had a small occult section, which we would get our, um, you know, modern witches spell book and, and, and stuff like that from. And then one day we walked in there. I was with some of my high school buddies, my D&D friends. And they had something called the Satanic Bible. And oh my God, it blew our minds. And we were so freaked out by it. I mean, you look through that and you looked at that picture of Anton LaVey in the back. And, and I just thought, wow, this, this looks like the real deal here. But I didn't buy it. None of us did. We were all giggling about it and, and, and uh, too nervous and timid and afraid to buy it. It's kind of like that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's one of those 80s uh, teenage sex comedies. Um, I think it's The Last American Virgin. And there's a scene in it where this guy and his buddies, they go in to buy condoms. And, and they're all nervous. They're afraid, you know. 
So they keep beating around the bush because they're, you know, afraid that the guy at the at the behind the counter is going to judge them or laugh at them or, or scold them. And uh, that's what it was like when we found the Satanic Bible. We were too afraid to take it up to the counter and just buy it. We were afraid we'd they'd, they'd scold us or, or something or we'd get in trouble. It's ridiculous. Anyhow. I went back myself like a week a week later and mustered up the courage and and went up and bought it. So, so then my point is is I, I came across something more substantial than what I'd had before. This was more substantial than the occultnik books, you know. But I read this and then I could see what occultnikism was. I mean, this is the first thing I encountered where he's talking about. He actually explains what magic is in a rational kind of way rather than dodging the question. And he had the balls to just go right to what everyone else is dancing, dancing around, which is Satan. All the other occultic books of the time were dancing around that. But we all know that's the main thing, right? So you have a sense that that's closer to the source. Think of that black sun again. It's closer to the source. Um, so, so that was a significant thing. Then... Um, a few years later, 1988, I was on a road trip with some friends and, um, to the West coast and we're hanging out on hate street in San Francisco. And I'd gone there thinking, cause I'd never met other people, other people who were Satanists at that time. I mean, when you got the satanic, the satanic Bible didn't have an address that you could write to. Well, it didn't, maybe it does now, but then it did not. So you never knew if this was something that was really still going on. Is there really people who are, are following these ideas? So I went to San Francisco thinking I might finally meet some real Satanists. I was thinking, you know, San Francisco, maybe there's, there's probably people walking around wearing black and, and Baphomets, you know, on the streets. And I'll just go up and say, hey... I'm one of you, you know. Of course, I got there, and there wasn't anything like that. There was just lots of uh, heroin addicts and gutter punks, and, and uh, you know, we, we had a good time, but there wasn't any, any Satanism going on that I could find. And um, we were getting ready to leave. It's like the last day that we were there, and we were just hanging around the street, and I was standing by a phone booth. And I don't know what occurred to me, but I just picked up that phone, the phone book out of the phone booth and I flipped through it to, um, you know, churches in the yellow pages and I found churches satanic. I was like, oh, wow, there's actually a section for that. And there, there I found the, um, they had the address and phone number for the Church of Satan. They had a phone number for the Temple of Set and a couple of other things. And so I ripped that page out of the phone book. And I folded it up and I stuck it in my pocket and I took it back with me. And I still have that piece out of the yellow pages today. Because for me, that was a huge turning point. I had a way of, of, of making contact with the others. I knew where I could find, you know, maybe find the others. So, a lot of other things happened after that. 
Um, and, you know, eventually, you know, it led me in a certain direction where, you know, I found some others and started, you know, learning more ideas that is more directly from the source, something more, um, you, you, there, there's a point where you move beyond the more substantial influences to where you can um, experience super substantial influences. And that's only from direct contact. That's only from getting as close to the source um, as you can. And throughout all of this, there's some overarching purpose and, and a magnetic force that's involved with it. It, draw, it's, it, it draws a certain quality of people together, people who are themselves in search for this higher quality of essence. And all these things were connected for me. For, you know, if I look, when I look back on this now, these things are all connected. B. Dalton's, you know, to you know, D&D, to B. Dalton's, to Hate Street, and all these other points in between. All of it's connected and leading towards something. So a question emerges, what is that something? What is attracting? And what is the subject of attraction? And why does there seem to be a gradually increasing, compounding, and ever-expanding nature to the attraction? So you ask, is there an, an underlying magnetic force? Is there a substantial aspect to certain ideas can certain ideas be substantial and in some ways these questions became the central mystery for me and the central question for my uh, initiatory search and the particulars of my experience might be unique but the pattern i think is one that lots of people experience it starts out with a few thoughts some ideas and some books for some people, it ends there, but for others, something shocks and propels them into action. Actions and movements in the real world that will likely result in encountering others who seem to be moving in a similar rhythm. And often, we're so caught up in the moment, so fully engaged with what is before us that we lose sight of the larger context that we're moving through. We become engrossed in a certain you know, idea or a certain thought or a certain personality, and it's though the flashing lights and glamour lead us into an initiatory safety zone. And then one day we might awaken. We might proclaim that the glamour must be lifted, revealing the face of the serpent, and then realize that we've fallen down a most peculiar rabbit hole. We can look around in wonder at a universe that's mostly the same but reflecting the glimmer of something new. And we may ponder, what is the source of this? In our case, the force that seems to be drawing one thing to another, a subject to an object, a seeker to a school, is a magnetic one. And magnetism functions via fields, if you want to get scientific about it. And there is an aspect of it that is scientific because certain things 
lead to other things. There is causality. And the whole concept of magic, the whole process of learning about magic and learning about the self is all about causality. It's all learning about causality. It's a study of causality. You know, this is why you go read, you know, read um, you know, Peter J. Carroll, Lever Nolan Psychonaut, Essence of, of Chaos Magic. This is about studying causality. And struggling with the question of can conscious causality exist? Can we take it out of the realm of randomness and take it into the realm of intentionality? Or what the Greeks called um, telos, purposefulness. So a great source for learning about fields and how they're useful to conscious life is uh, Dr. Aquino's book, Mind War. This book cites numerous examples from scientific studies in which electromagnetic waves and uh, ELFs, extremely low frequency fields, can have a direct and tangible effect on organic life forms, human and animal, biologically and behaviorally. Even very weak ELF fields, such as that produced by uh, TV sets, can accelerate or decrease human reaction time. We're being bombarded by these things all the time, by these uh, devices from ELF fields. Uh, television is one, but there are many others. I mean, just think about all of the uh, electronic generators that we come in contact with, um, the computers that we sit in front of all day. Um, th these are all having an effect on us. And there can be no doubt that these things have an effect on um, our state and our state of consciousness. So this is where we say, so everything that we talk about with the black flame, everything that we use the term black flame to represent, okay? So when I say the term black flame and, and, and I say that there, is, um, that there is something substantial about it or super substantial, I'm not saying that literally there's this black burning fire that burns out of your head, right? What I'm saying is that well, there's, there's a force here. There's, 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 there's an element of causality underneath all of this, which man has, has struggled with and, and interacted with for millennia. And it's something that's just kind of it's slightly under the radar um, as far as science goes, but it's not completely off the radar as far as science goes. There's um, Wilhelm Reich, of course, and then other examples when you get into, and, and then you have, you know, Tesla. But um, when we go back and start looking at fields, we realize um, how much more um, 
legitimate and substantial possibilities exist out here for understanding what this substance is. And here's where you make a you make a um, a a we make a connection here, but between the concept of fields and the concept of the black flame. If we consider this as a field, then we can start uh, conceiving of this uh, perhaps in a more effective kind of way. So we see instances of this in the Diabolicon too. One of the most profound instances um, comes by way of the daemon Azazel when in the Diabolicon he recounts and before our sight, Satan lost shape and became again the essence of Lucifer. And we beheld a brilliance that infused all hell and sent great bolts of prismic light into the surrounding void. And the brilliance said, I am Lucifer revealed, who am the eternal flame. I go now to earth, for no longer shall man be confounded in godly ignorance." And then the brilliance became as a flash of fire in the vastness of space, and we knew that Satan had departed from hell. But on earth, where man wandered in mindless bliss, the firmament blazed forth with fiery tongues, and all the land was covered by the black flame, which burned not, though it bewildered the eye to see it. This holy fire actually has an integral and ongoing role in illuminating, in helping the right people find their own way and awaken to their own election and begin moving their lives in new directions towards something more real, more alive, and more conscious. People can elect themselves to a certain degree, but without the right kind of nourishment, there can be no elections whatsoever. And that nourishment comes by way of that field. And as we consume, digest, and assimilate our own center of gravity or our essence, it, it grows and increasingly seeks to come into the orbit of the source at the center of that field. So this is also the force of, of Runa, mysterious force that's awakened with the power of question. But you get the idea as your own, as, as you gain this new source of nourishment, which comes by way of the field, you begin to become more complete and develop something within you that is more substantial, that has its own uh, gravity, its own magnetism. Gurdjieff called it magnetic center. And as this happens, you imagine that a, a, a meteor or something can you know, fly by the planet Earth and get somewhat affected by the gravity. But then some things, like say, um, say something the size of a moon can come by a planet and get pulled into its gravity, because it's more substantial, right? It's bigger than a meter. It's gained, it's, it's gained in size, and it can come around a planet and get pulled into the orbit 
of a certain planet. So that's the other thing you, you have to think of while you're gaining influences is that the influences that you gain go into creating a certain kind of magnetism in you. So you have to ask yourself what, where that magnetism is leading because that magnetism can be leading you to be in orbit around something. So you have to ask yourself, what do I want to be in orbit around? And that is all um, directed by the kinds of influences that you are nourishing yourself with. So there was a time in my life where I spent a lot of time in the club scene when I was playing in bands, Morphine Angel, Asmodee Sex, all that. Uh, it's inevitable you spend a lot of time out in these like club scenes. And well, what's happening there? Well, by doing all that, you're, you're definitely taking in all, all sorts of forms of uh, influences from this. Right, so you're taking in, you know, all of the music, all of the colors. You're also taking in the values that are reflected by the general, uh, general people that are there. You're learning I ideas. You're learning behaviors, and and they're not all good. I'm not saying they're all good, and that's like one of the important things that you need to realize is that if you're not moving in a way that's getting you in to the orbit of something that you want to be in the orbit, something that's going to empower you, something that's going to make your life more vibrant and aware and more willful and more conscious, if you're not getting that, then maybe you start by looking at the influences that you're bringing in. What kind of nourishment are you getting? You know, people will spend all kinds of time with nourishment, trying to make sure that they're eating the right kinds of food. Like, you know, you know, carbs aren't bad or, or you know, car carbs are bad or meat's bad or protein's good or, you know, vitamin C, you know, whatever, you know, ketogenic, uh, you know, carnivore diet, um, you know, what, whatever kind of diet. These are all efforts to try and make sure that you're getting the right kind of nourishment because you know that you are what you eat. But if you haven't made that next step, and that next step is realizing that impressions are food, that the impressions you receive, which includes all of the values and all of the goals and the wishes and hopes and, and, and desires that you receive from others, that those can be a kind of food too. And you are what you eat. And if you haven't made that step to realizing that, that impressions are food, then you're probably not going to worry about it that much. You think, oh, well, I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm getting all the nourishment I, I need because I'm shopping at Whole Foods and I'm drinking three cups of water a day. Or, you know, something like that. I'm avoiding sweets, you know. So you're going to think, oh, everything I'm taking in is fine. Oh, yeah, you are what you eat. I, everything I'm taking in is good. But there's this whole category of experience that you are blind to. There's a whole category of nourishment 
that you are blind to. And part of finding the way is awakening to that category of nourishment and realizing that that shit is real. Those things are real. And when you take them into your system, they have a real effect on you. And so if there's a magnetic quality that arises from this, well, where's it going to lead you to? So this is why a lot of people get stuck in the club scene, right? Because, you know, it's magnetism. Like attracts like. So the more you, 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 you take of it, the more you tend to move more towards taking more of it. You know, this is, this is just basic um, Newtonian physics here. You know, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, and like attracts like. So this is one of the first things you need to realize. And, I mean, a, a, lot, of, a lot of the people listening to this, a lot of you probably have realized this to some extent. If you're bothering to listen to this podcast this deep into it, then uh, you probably have a good thirst for something more. And you've already probably, to some extent, awakened to the fact that you have to make changes about the quality of influences that you take in to your being via impressions, via via the senses all of these all of these impressions come into you via the senses this is a really way to a good way to understand it so one of your senses a couple of your senses well all of them um know about regular food i was going to say your sense of of of, of your gustatory senses are pretty attuned to food but there's also feeling there's also sight and smell of of food but your senses uh, but 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 that's not what takes in yeah, the food. What takes in the food is physically, it goes in your fucking mouth, and you chew it up and eat it, and inside your body, like you know, processes it and melts it down into chemicals and integrate, you know, integrates it into your, into your physical presence, and you know, you become are what you eat. But this other category, and there's also a middle category of 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 nourishment too which comes in the form of um, air, air that you breathe. And this goes into your body, you know, also through your mouth or your nostrils, to some extent through your skin, and you um, take in oxygen. And it's the same thing. You, inside your body, the machine knows how to, to process this, and it translates it into what you are. And you know you need more air. That's the other thing is, is, is you get a magnetism towards the, these things that, that work or sometimes things that have an unnatural addiction put you in a magnetic relationship to it. And so you know that's bad. I can talk about things that you take into your body, breathing or eating, that everyone knows is bad. You know, crack cocaine or, or heroin or nicotine because it just makes you um, more addicted to it and it's like deleterious to you. So all these things are the same. I mean, you already know all of this stuff. You just need to make that transition to understanding that impressions are also food. Impressions are a form of food which nourishes a different part of your being. 
the other parts of food actually, the other foods nourish you know parts of your being as well. It's like the uh, physical food nourishes your physical presence, and oxygen actually is connected with the emotional center which this kind of freaks people out sometimes to think of it in that way. But um, the, best, the, the best way for me to get this across to you now is to think of the emotional responses that you have that are laughter and, and crying and, or extreme nervousness and fear. And all of these are associated with a disruption in the breathing patterns. When you laugh... Something about laughing makes you expel and suck in air faster. Uh, crying and, and fear, obviously, they like to say with fear you're going to run, so you need more oxygen. So you start getting nervous and, and, and hyperventilating um, sometimes. So something about oxygen feeds um, the uh, emotional part of your being, your emotional center. And then the impressions come in and they actually feed um, the intellectual center. Um, but all of but the thing about them coming into the intellectual centers, it's not just intellectual ideas that come in with impressions. It's not just you know when you say intellectual center, people immediately want to say that oh that's all about you know logic and and math and these you know super heady intellectual things. And you know, that's not really true. It's just impressions that are are consciously received have a special nourishment for the intellectual center. And then once that center becomes um, nourished in a special way, then it opens up something else within you um, because all of the centers are, are starting to receive a equilibrium of, of nourishment. So... I kind of, I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting off, kind of going off here, but I, I think it's all relevant things. So there's questions that arise here, and and it's why do some people come under these magnetic influences and other people's don't? And 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 part of that has to do with people aren't interested in it. People haven't made that that jump to realize that the impressions are food. Believe me, if everyone realized that their impressions are just as your impressions you receive can just be just as good or bad for you as say, you know, a good steak dinner versus, you know, um, a, a pound of crack cocaine, then they would have no trouble making the decision about what kind of impressions they follow, about what sorts of influences they take in to their being. Everyone would immediately know what it is. But we have a blindness to that aspect of it. So that's why um, we need to make this effort. And this is also why there's a reason that you need to find the others. Because when you're working with others who have, all, who have learned this and who know this, then you can help each other. Another thing is that there seems to be high concentrations of black flame in one place on earth, but then years later, it's all gone. Why is that? You know, for instance, thousands of years, all the great initiatory centers were around the Mediterranean, around the Mediterranean Sea, in the Middle East, Greece, Egypt, you know, Persia. And in the West, that's where all the barbarians were. 
that's where the people who didn't have writing were. But now, like thousands of years later, it's like it's the other way around. In the West is where all the initiatory centers have moved or reappeared, actually. I think is a better way of saying it. They've remanifested in the West after a long period of of darkness. And, you know, and, and then over in the Middle East, it's like they're struggling struggling to stay above the level of barbarism. So I know part of this, I, I, and I know part of this is because it, it, it's not helping that um, America is, is sending, you know, soldiers over there to kill people and, 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 and blow things up and, and, and make millions of people homeless. That's sure not helping. But it's also not helping that, you know, radical, radical Islam, which considers women property and which recommends people marry their first cousins, that's not helping things either. Um, and, and, and the centers, all the initiatory centers went away um, after that, you know. The initiatory centers in, 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 in Persia, you know, which is now, now um, Iran and, and, and Egypt um, have, have all gone away. So it's weird. Like right now, people say Texas and California look like pretty good places as far as the people that are around there and, and, and the connections with esoteric centers. Um, North, North Africa, not so much. But you go back in time a few thousand years and it's just the opposite. So here's the other thing is that whether or not you find the others, whether that's even possible for you, there might be some luck involved with that. You know, some places and times just aren't good for the fire of conscious influences and and the other thing is that it it seems like too much negativity and and ignorance actually kind of create a shield against it it's like the more um they've gone this direction in the middle east with with islam it just can can consistently continually becomes more radical until it's it's isis and 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 stuff and there's more and more of a shield against it. And so that's how, um, you know, that's like, that's like the force of a pep, right? The force of delusion in the universe. Or it's like the druge that Zarathustra talked about. It's like the lie. It's like actually a force. And the more that force like takes hold of people, the more it creates a shield against conscious influence. It's just unthinkable that something like, you know, the Temple of Set would pop up in, you know, Iraq. Um, although that could change, who knows? But it, 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 my point is, is that there's, there's like a shield created by it. And part of that has to do, again, with the nourishment that people are receiving. And the more people like cut out certain types of influences and preference of different types of influences, even if they're bad influences, those influences will come in, make them what they are, and create them within them more magnetism for more of those shitty influences. And just think of, you know, uh, 
you know, people who, who, who get into drugs, people who get into crack, well, they're gravitated towards other crack people and they're gravitated towards surrounding themselves with other people who use crack until it's just, you know, basically next to impossible that anything else can ever like get through it all. It creates a shield against um, any other forces penetrating it. So again, this all comes back to what you are putting inside yourself. So next time I'll talk about the metaphor of the gardener to continue on with this. So that is enough for now. I'll leave you with my admonition to become aware of this other category of nourishment that's available to you. And until then, until next time, subscribe to the YouTube channel, join us on Patreon, and always, always, always keep the dark fire burning. Mm-hmm.